In the book of Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, I could spend all morning talking about that. It's dear, near and dear to our hearts. But the Bible says in, I, in Jeremiah 9, 23, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. I want to speak to you this morning about the secret of knowing him, the secret of knowing the Lord. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the wonderful people that are here and watching by the way of the internet. Knowing in your presence, we're never going to be the same in which we came because we've been changed by your power and your goodness. So thank you for that power and goodness in Jesus name. And all God's men and women said, amen. You can be seated, turn to your neighbor and say, you're good looking and sit down. Oh, you're not even saying it. You, what do you think? They're ugly. Oh, that's messed up. I think all the worship team is good looking. Would you give the worship team a round of applause? Jerry, you're looking really good. Shave the beard. I don't fear the beard anymore. I'm just fearing you as a person now. So that's good. We're so honored to have you here today. And I think about the life that we live. So many times people live lives and they keep kind of secrets. How many of you have hidden secrets? Let me see your, you have hidden secrets. What are they? Many people have secrets and they don't want anybody to know them. It's like the person that says, I, I can keep secrets. It's just the people I tell, they can't keep the secret. What's the secrets of knowing God? The secret of his anointing, to stay in that good place of God's favor, even though you're in difficult times. Speaking about secrets, it reminds me of the story of the three preachers who went out of town in a church convention to know better about how to pastor and how to do, how to have church stuff. And so they were in this church conference. And so they were in the hotel room and one guy said to another, he says, Hey, I know what we can do. Let's tell our secret sins one unto another. It's just us pastors here. Let's tell our secret sins. So all three men agreed to share with each other their secret sin. So the first guy said, Hey, my secret sin, it's drinking. He says, my cup runneth over when I go out of town. And Jose Cuervo is a friend of mine. He says, I just, you know, I like to drink. The guys looked at each other, says, okay. Second guy said, oh, my secret sin, I got to tell you, it's gambling. I tell people I go to Cash Creek and all those red hot casinos for the food, but it's not for the food. I go to ka-ching, ka-ching. I got a problem with gambling. I just like it. They looked at the third guy waiting for him to tell his secret sin. And finally, they asked him, what's your secret sin? The third guy said, well, my secret sin is gossip, and I'm dying to get out of the room. <laughs> secrets. All of us have secrets, things that we don't want anybody to know. But do you know God keeps secrets hidden in his word? And then he shows us throughout the pages of human history and under the anointing of God, the keys to unlock those secrets. He tells us in the Old Testament how to have the secret of knowing prophecy. In the book of Daniel, there's a key given out of the prophecy of Daniel that gives exact, precise details on what would happen in the future. To the exact degree, the prophet Daniel gets a key and it's unlocked 
In the New Testament, Jesus gives us the key of knowing the kingdom of God called the beatitude. I call it the attitude to be. It's the secrets that God reveals in the book of Revelation where it talked about the key of David. And the key of David would be the unlocking of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The secret of Joseph's life in the Old Testament because Joseph reveals the life of Jesus all the way through 21 exact details describing the life of Joseph, revealing the life of Jesus. It's the secrets unlocked. God gives the prophet Jeremiah the secrets to know him. He gives us the key to unlock the power and the presence of God, to know what it's like to go through adversity, but come out on the other side, not bitter, but better and stronger because you know him, the one true God. But to know what God is wanting and what God likes You've got to know what God hates. If you're unclear about certain things on how to take action, sometimes what I do is focus on clarifying the problem instead of the solution. So instead of not knowing the key of what, how to unlock it, Many times I'll focus and clarify the problem. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's clarifying a problem on how you do not find God. He says, let not a man boast in his wisdom. Jeremiah cups his hands to his mouth and he shouts into the 21st century when we would have a knowledge explosion, when men would be wise beyond their understanding and there would be such a knowledge explosion. And here's the prophet of old. He's screaming into the darkness, the darkness of the 21st century. And he says, you're not to boast in your wisdom. We're living in a day where you can take your smartphone and you can pull up any wise thing, any informational thing. We now are deciding whether or not we're going to clone human beings. We've already cloned certain animals and pets. I just read an article where they're trying to clone animals that have been extinct for hundreds and thousands of years, and they're coming up with this wisdom of technology to clone these animals and perhaps human beings, robots that can do do what human beings can do. And all of this knowledge and all of this wisdom, has it brought us closer to God? Absolutely not. It's brought us to a brink of destruction because our wisdom and our intellect does not bring us closer to the Lord. What happens when we're wise in our own understanding and not leaning on the everlasting arm of the Holy Spirit, we become wise in our own eyes and we slip into what the scriptures say, intellectual idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, 23 says, stubbornness is that of idolatry. Stubbornness is that of idolatry. Now, who is a stubborn person? I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about a person that will not change their mind, even in the presence of truth. When God's word is revealed, they won't change course. Because their opinion, their thoughts, and their wisdom is superior to the Word of God. In other words, when you get into intellectual idolatry, they think their way, what they've learned, and what they know, they won't change their opinion when they're confronted by the compelling truth of God's Word. They even come to the place and say, that's wrong. I don't believe that. That's your interpretation. It's intellectual idolatry because their opinion, their thoughts, and their wisdom is superior to the Word of God. Therefore, what happens is their wisdom 
is their God. And they slip in to intellectual idolatry. Do you know there are some people, even at the sound of my voice, that do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God because of the wisdom that they have been taught by some professor in school or some person that said he is one of the ways? Can I tell you, friends, he's not a way. He is the way, the truth, the life. And if you don't know Jesus, you can't go to heaven. How more simpler can we get? Knowing Jesus gets you to heaven. If you don't know Jesus, you're on your way to you know where because you've got to know the Son of God. He said, nobody comes to the Father unless I bring them in. But what happens is we get people's opinion, man's opinion, and idolatry sets in because of what they've been taught. But just for a moment, I think about the professors that are trying to strip uh, the, the beliefs out of our young men and women that are in public schools or in Ivy League universities or even in colleges that are community colleges or universities. What is happening on the college campus is frightening as people are trying to strip our identity away of being a believer because of what they think and their opinion. And they say slogans like, I doubt that. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And the professor says, I doubt that. Do you really believe that? So let's just take a moment and let's look at Bible evidence in the scripture that he is the son of God, Jesus, and not being mistaken by anything or anyone else. Let's look at the keys. Let's unlock them for just a moment. Do you know that hundreds of years before Christ was born in the Old Testament, it told us of the time of his birth, the exact time of his birth. It's given in Daniel chapter nine. Let's take that key and let's open it up. It gives the fact of his virgin birth, Isaiah chapter 7, another key that unlocks the mystery. Open it up. It said he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5. Unlock the key so we'll understand. Twelve exact details are given of his life and his death in Psalms 22. Another key. Its chapter is given in Isaiah 53 of his death. Another key. His resurrection in Psalm 16. Another key. I'm telling you that for a reason. The keys are there. The access is open. All you have to do is believe and not doubt. No, he is the son of God and there is no other. Those scriptures that I just gave you, and there was a lot of them, and that's a lot of detail and study because I get down like that. Do you know that one world-class mathematician calculated those scriptures and his calculation that that exact detail of scriptures, if it was only by a chance. In other words, they just guessed it. It was by chance that they, they did all that stuff. Do you know this mathematician, a world-class mathematician, could only come to this conclusion mathematically? Now think about this. I, wanna, I want you to lock into this because you got you to gotta detail this in your spirit, in your mind. He calculated that there could be only one chance in 87 followed by 93 zeros that what was shared in the Old Testament was a byproduct of guess. One mathematician studies it out, and he says, the chance of this being a, a guesswork is 
87, followed by 93 zeros, that this is a byproduct of chance. Meaning, there's no guesswork here, Jack. This is true. It's as true today as it was back when it was written. The power and knowledge of God is not found in man's wisdom. People say, well, Joey, man, we need, to, we need to educate. And we do need to educate. But some people are educated beyond their intellect. We need to educate, but education does not produce a utopia. We often hear politicians as they get on their political high horse and say, we need to educate. We need to educate. Where has our education got us? We are now producing the most vile, sickest world we've ever lived in in the 21st century. I'm telling you that education without God's anointing only produces intellectual barbarians. You need to know your history so you don't repeat it. Hitler's Nazis in World War II, many of those Nazis had PhDs. They were brilliant. They had bachelor's degrees. But I want you to know those animals through Jewish children in the ovens of Auschwitz, they were educated by barbarians because education without God only produces trouble. We need to know wisdom is not found in the understanding of men. Man's intellect does not reveal Jesus. The Holy Spirit reveals the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit is what what gives us wisdom. There are many times that I don't know what to do in the church, in my family, in life. And so I, I don't ask for wisdom of man. I get on my knees and I pray and I talk to the Lord and I said, grant thy favor and give me understanding. Give me wisdom to know what to do, what not to do, and give me the discernment to know the difference. The knowledge of God is not found in wisdom. He also says the secret of knowing God, you're not to boast in my in other words, you're not to think you're all that in a bag of chips. You're not to think you are the big boss applesauce. Some of you walk around like you're God's first cousin. You're not to think of yourself highly or haughty, the scriptures say. In other words, you're not to boast in what you can do. But what does our world do? Our world is fascinated with power. Power in itself is not evil. I talked about that a couple Sundays ago. Power in itself is not wrong. Jesus presents a gospel of power, but now mankind is on the mad pursuit of this thing called power. They're worshiping might. Do you know during the dark days of World War II, there was a secret hidden in the hills of Tennessee in Oak Ridge that was so powerful it was so secretive that Vice President Harry Truman, he did not know it existed until he became the president. And when he became president, it was revealed to him the secret of the atomic bomb. And that atomic bomb was released at Hiroshima and killed tens of thousands, blasting civilization back to the Stone Age. The scientist that came up with that first atomic bomb said these words, and I quote, Oh God! Oh God! What have we done? That genie has been unleashed out of the bottle. And now we're living in a society where scientists are telling us that we have enough atomic bombs to kill everybody on the planet 20 times over. Has that 
power and might brought us peace? Absolutely not. I want you to be with me in prayer as we pray for our president and Pompeo, the, the secretary of state, as they go to the Korean peninsula and they negotiate a peace process with a madman who is objective is to expose nuclear exchange on the world stage. I'm telling you that for a reason, because we're living in a society that is worshiping power. They're worshiping might. And God says, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't you boast in your might. This nuclear age is now on the scene and people are scared to death of what's going to happen. I have people ask me often, Joey, do you think that there's going to be a nuclear exchange in the Korean peninsula? And my response is no. No, I don't. Not because the little dictator doesn't want to do it and not because he doesn't have the capability of doing it. But Zechariah, the prophet, he gives us a key and he says that there will be a plague that comes upon Israel. The nuclear exchange is not going to happen in the Korean Peninsula. The nuclear exchange, the prophet gives us the key, and he tells us in chapter 14, verse 12, that this is what happens to a human body, the plague that comes upon Jerusalem, Israel, and he describes perfectly an atomic explosion. It's a result, friends, of Iran. Iran is working day and night to build a nuclear missile. That's why I applaud, no matter what a political divide you come on, I applaud the president for scrapping that Iran deal and making those people come back to the table. Because they're working day and night to blast Jerusalem off the face of the earth and hit London and hit New York City. That's why I encourage you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Israel is not a political issue. It is a Bible issue. It is a kingdom issue. And you need to know that. It's a kingdom issue. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah if you really want to enjoy God's blessing and God's grace. And let me just say as a caveat, do I believe that we will see that blast that the prophet Zechariah shows us in the key in the Old Testament? Absolutely not. Do I think we'll be here during the tribulation and the great tribulation? Absolutely not. The Bible says we're not appointed to suffer wrath. We're under the grace of God. Let me give you the next prophetic key that takes place in the scriptures according to God's word. It's called the rapture of the church. The Bible says soon and very soon that trump of God shall sound and the voice of the archangels will split the heaven and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain. Somebody help me preach it. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I don't know about you. I ain't waiting for no blood to come to the bridle of the horse. I'm not waiting for no Armageddon or no Megiddo in the valley. I'm waiting for the Son of God to split heaven and split earth and come back for the church. You say, man, you're getting excited. I know it, right? I am excited. I'm excited that he loves me. I'm excited that my name's written down in the Lamb's book of life. I'm excited that there's soon and very soon God's going to come back for the church, the church that's the bride without spot and without wrinkle. I'm so glad that God is a protector of his children and we're not appointed to suffer wrath. We're under the grace of almighty God. I am to be honorable, to know him, to brag on the goodness of God. It's by God's grace that we're saved and it's by God's grace that we go to be with him. Woo, I'm preaching a lot better than you Presbyterians are letting on, but I'm going to keep on it. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah again. If you really want to enjoy the blessing, don't glory in your own might. In other words, you can't figure it out. You don't have the strength. Let the weak say I'm what? Strong. Let the poor say I'm what? 
I'm rich because of what the Lord has done for me. We're racing toward Armageddon, friends. The genie in the bottle can't be put back in it because power without the character of God to control that power is the formula for the end of the world. And that formula is being mixed up right now as I'm speaking. Jeremiah says the third thing, the secret of knowing him is you're not to do this. Everybody say not. You are not to boast in your riches. Some of you are saying, that's good. I ain't got no money. I want you to understand the spirit of mammon, which is the God of money, comes to people who are broker than a $3 bill, who are so broke and so low, they, they skip rope under the bed and their head never even hit the slats. I mean, they're so low. They're, and being a person that's bound by the spirit of money called mammon in the scripture is not a matter of somebody having money. The Bible says you are not, you're, you're not to neglect money. You're to, you're to reject the love of it. And the love of money, the scriptures say, is the root of all evil. People say, it's money that's the root of all evil, Joey. That's why people shouldn't be having stuff calling themselves Christian. Then don't go to work. Don't get in your car. Give it away. You need to be poor, broke, busted, and disgusted. Get under the bridge. You just go right now. You get under the bridge. You say, well, Joey, you're being silly. No, I'm being real. God wants you to have things. God wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be victorious. Years ago, when I first became a pastor in the city, a guy wrote an op-ed about me in the, on the paper as a social platform and called me a heretic because I was a, quote, prosperity preacher. And so he's going in all this nonsense and theologically why. And, I, and, and so I didn't read it all because, you know, I just assume everybody loves me. So I didn't take it, you know, but it rolls off me, you know, say what you want. You don't know me. And, but I did say to the question, I said, hmm, I would rather be a prosperity preacher than a poverty preacher any day of the week. And so would you. You don't want to live in poverty. Poverty is a curse. It's a curse. And we're not to be poverty people. We're to be victorious believers and be prosperous people. That's what Oasis Church is all about. You being a prosperous person. God takes the light and the prosperity of the saints. But he doesn't want you to be bound up with the spirit of mammon, which is the control of money. The control of money says, I can't come to the house of God. I have to work. I have priorities. I can't honor God in the giving because I need more. I can't honor God in this because I need that, 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 that. And the spirit of mammon. I can't do this. I can't do that. And the push and the drive for more will destroy you. It will destroy you. The Bible says, don't be arrogant and put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. How many of you know that money talks? Mine says, bye-bye. My money be talking to me, but not in a good way. It says, bye, you don't have enough, you need more. I pray for people that come to Oasis that are prosperous, victorious people that have jobs. That's why I pray for you every day. I pray for you to get a job. I pray for you to work. I pray for you to be prosperous so you can honor God in the giving, so we can do what God's called us to do. You think churches are going to be built on my good looks? We might get one rafter up, but that's it. 
I can sway my way and get maybe a, something built, but not the whole thing. It needs God's people and the resources of the kingdom to make it a reality. That's why I pray prosperity over all of you, because we got big dreams here, and we can't do it without you. How are we going to get an apartment building for women and children? How are we going to build Oasis Church that is a beacon in the society in which we live in? How are we going to do what God's called us to do? Take a village in the Philippines and bring them food and water and clothes and shelter. How are we going to do that? By my good looks? No. We're going to do it by being prosperous, giving people. That's why I declare over you, you're prosperous, you're giving, you're not broke, you're not busted people, you're not poverty mentality, and you don't have the spirit of mammon, which is a hold, take, take, take mentality. The Bible tells us in everything God gives us, put our hope in God, who provides us everything for what? Our enjoyment. Command those to do good. Be rich in good deeds. I love that. And be generous and willing to share. Be generous and willing to share. How many of you know people are throwing their lives away for the pursuit of riches? They throw their lives away. They throw their calling of God. I have people that I love dearly. They throw their call of God away because of the pursuit of mammon, the pursuit of riches. They throw it all away. I can't serve. I can't be there. You're demanding too much from me. And I'm saying, sucker, we're not demanding anything from you that Jesus doesn't demand from all of us. Take up your cross and follow me. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. You say, oh, well, that's not for me. Then the gospel's not for you because that's the gospel. That's what God tells us. An article I read years ago, and I wrote it down. These seven men in 1923 were the most decorated, talked about men on print. In other words, these seven men, the society was told to do what these men do. The society was told, be like these men, strive to be like these seven men. These seven men were tycoons, wealthy men. They sat one day in the Edgewater Hotel in Chicago. These seven men, the story went on to say, just seven of them, they controlled more wealth than the entire U.S. Treasury. So they were very wealthy men. And for years, the press, like I said, they printed these success stories. They urged young Americans, live like these guys. Let these guys be your example. But what happened to these seven men? The story went on to tell us what happened to these seven men and their lives. Because I believe Aristotle said it best. Let not a man say he lived well until you know how that man has died. And you will know how well somebody lives when they pass away. And think about these men. I'm just going to read to you real quickly, and I'm going to move on to the real meat of the message because we have till like 2 o'clock, right? No, you're like, not me. Yeah, just hang out. These seven men, the first was named Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab was a president of the largest independent steel company of the day. He lived, however, on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and he died absolutely penniless. The second man was Arthur Kooten. Arthur was the largest wheat speculator who died abroad alone, and he died without any income, dead broke. The third man was called Richard Whitney. He was the president of the New York Stock Exchange. Richard, Richard Whitney was released from prison to die at home. The fourth man was named Albert Fall. Albert Fall was a, uh, a member of the president's cabinet, he was pardoned to go home from prison so he can die at home. The fifth man was named Jesse Livermore. Jesse was the greatest Wall Street 
uh, trader and he was, he was just well known. He died. He committed suicide. The sixth man was Leon Frazier, the president of the Bank of Independent Settlements. That means money was being spread abroad. He also committed suicide. The seventh man was called Ivan Kruger. He was the head of the world's largest banking institutions across the world. He also died by suicide. Like so many people, they gloried in their power. They gloried in their riches. Money became their God and the spirit of mammon overwhelmed them and they threw their families away. They threw their marriages away. They threw their health away and they threw their soul away and they never found what they were looking for. Three suicides, two went to prison. All seven died broke. The prophet gives us the key and he says, don't boast in your riches. Don't boast in your riches, but you are to boast. See, that's what changes religion to relationship because you and I were designed to boast. There's a mechanism in all of us that we're to be boast people, not to be down and out and give up people. We're to be people that boast, but we're not to boast in our own strength. We're not to boast in our own wisdom, our own understanding. We're not to boast in our own wealth, but God says you are to boast. You are to be a boaster, but you are to boast in this, that you know me, the one true God. You are to boast in the Lord. You know why? Because there's a divine spark in you that only is there because of the creator of the universe. That divine spark, God put it in you that no other creature on the planet has, but God put his divine spark in you. Because you, 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 and every one of you that are here that are believers are created in the image and the likeness of almighty God. You're created in his image. Do you know a bird can be satisfied with last year's bird nest? Do you know a dog will be satisfied if you have a dog? He'll, he'll lay in the backyard with that old bone and do it all day long and just chew on that bone. Do you know a cow will be content and happy chewing the cud in the pasture? But there's something inside a believer. Listen to me today. There's something inside of us. The only thing that can truly satisfy us is being in the presence of Almighty God. There's only one thing that can satisfy a believer, and that's to be in the presence of Almighty God. It's the only thing that will satisfy. It's the only thing that will satisfy. As we close our time, and Pat makes me feel more anointed, when you know God is your source, your success is unlimited. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. You're the branches. He says, I am the source. You are my branches. You're growing out of me. You're not growing out of a church, out of a denomination, out of a family relationship. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branch. You're growing out of me. You're growing out of me. Your success, he's saying, is dependent upon your relationship with me. Your joy, your contentment, your peace is not dependent on circumstances. They're not your source. And when you let them be your source, they become your success or your failure rate. God says, no, no, I'm the vine. You're the branch. Your success is dependent upon me because you're connected 
to the source. That's why he said in his writing, without me, you can do nada. You know, we're speaking Spanish in heaven, don't you know? It says, without me, you can do nothing. Say the word nothing. Nothing. And that's what some people produce. Nothing. Because without God, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, here's Bible proof. Because when God created things, he always connects it to a source. When God created plants, he connected them to the source of the plant, which was dirt. When you take the plant out of the dirt, what happens? The plant dies. Because the source of the plant is the dirt. What happens when you create, when you take fish out of a water? God creates the fish, but he connects them to the source, which is the water. When you take the fish out of water, what do you have? Sushi. Nasty, by the way. Any of you people that eat that, they always ask me, are you going to eat sushi, Pastor Joey? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Every time I see you with your pictures of sushi, I'm grossed out. Because I think of you eating the raw fish, I think of the bugs that are just going, and now the bugs are spreading. I'm like, give me meat, cook it up, sear it up, well done. I'll eat the meat. But when you take the fish out of the water, the fish dies. The source of the fish and the connection is the water. When God created you, he created you out of himself. That's why he told, he told us in his word, let us make man in our own image. Let's create man out of our own image. And when he grabbed that handful of dust, it wasn't the dust that created us. It was his breath, the Ruach. It was the breath of God. And he breathed into us. He is the source. And that's why he told Adam, when Adam sinned, the source was cut off. And he said, Adam, this day you're going to die. Did Adam die physically that day? No, friend. But spiritually, Adam died that day. That's why there's a verse of scripture that no Christian wants to hear, but the Bible says, he that believeth have life, and he that believeth not is dead already. Why? They're not connected to the source. There are people all over this city that are walking corpses because without Christ, they are dead. Do you have a mom or a dad who don't know the Lord? They're dead. Do you have a family member? They don't know the Lord. They're dead. Do you have a spiritual co-worker, somebody you love? If you don't tell them, they are dead. You need to give them the source. I'm so concerned with some of you that you don't realize the connection you have with your source and unlimited potential that you have because you're on the Lord's side. When you came out of God, you believe in the Lord. He breathes into you. That's why the word of God is so important because he's speaking life into you. That's why words of encouragement and adoration, we call them in the church world prophecy. It doesn't need to be taglined with thus saith the Lord or somebody talking out loud, which nobody can hear them in the rest of the congregation. It becomes believers using their gifts, using their talents, using the five-fold ministry to edify, build, strengthen up, to talk to people, prophesy to people, pull out the jewels in people, tell people what they are and not what they're 
they're not. That's the problem with the church. They sit dormant and they sit back not knowing that they are the source of life. The creator of the universe has planted in them the great encountering of God and God saying, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind, I'll bind. What you loose, I'll loose. God says, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Do what I've called you to do and be a great salt and light. Friends, let's push it a little further and I'll close. It's, it's a little early still. When God tells you something, he uses a word in the, and you learn it in Bible college called omnipotent. In theology, it's called omnipotent. But what it translates to is power without limit. So we use the words God's omnipotent. God's omnipotent means he's everywhere. But really God is power without limit. That's why when you stay connected to the source, which is what? God, you and I can have power without limits. Because he says, I'm the vine and you're my branch. And I'll produce in you fruit, good fruit, lasting fruit, fruit that remains. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. Now listen to the last phrase. According to the power that works within us. Whose power is that? It's God's power. It works within us. That means your destined to succeed, friend. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 19, I've given you potential because you're plugged into God. Here's what he says. Matthew 16, verse 19. I give you the what? Key to the kingdom of God and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose down on earth will be loosed in heaven. So many people, they sit dormant, not producing fruit because they're waiting for God to take the initiative. I'm waiting for God to take over. I'm waiting for God to do this and God to put money in my bank account. And I'm waiting for God to get my kids filled with the Holy Ghost and do anything. I'm not ever going to bring them to church. I'm never going to do nothing, but I'm waiting for God. And God says, hey, 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 when are you going to take the initiative? I've given you the power to close the gates of hell. I've given you the power to drive Satan out of your health, out of your home, out of your emotion. I've given you the ability to break the yoke of drugs. I've given you supernatural victory. You have power. You have power. All of you have power. I encourage you. Why don't you just use it? Use it in Jesus' name.